نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله Verily the praise belongs to Allah we praise him and seek his assistance and forgiveness and we seek refuge in Allah from the evil of ourselves and the evil consequences of our deeds whoever Allah guides there's no one that can lead him astray and whoever Allah leads astray there's no one that can guide him i bear witness that nothing deserves to be worshiped except Allah alone and that he has no partners or associates and i bear witness that muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam is his slave servant and his messenger we begin this evening bismillahi ta'ala with the reading from the sharh of kitab at-tawhid alladhi huwa haqq Allah 'ala al-'abid of al-imam muhammad ibn abdul wahhab ibn sulaiman at-tamimi al-najdi rahimahullah in the chapter following chapters related to as-sihr magic or sorcery a chapter entitled bab ma jaa fi al-kuhan wa ghayrihim yani the chapter concerning what has been reported or what has been narrated and what has been said from the scholars related to al-kuhan yani soothsayers or fortune tellers and the like of them and those who are like them and in this chapter he mentions the kahin uh which perhaps is translated by one of these words soothsayer or fortune teller and the arraf which is also translated similarly and perhaps according to some of the scholars has the same meaning and to some of them it has a different meaning which we would discuss uh and likewise there's reference to others here in his expression ghayrihim yani in others which are similar to them and there's the mention yani in the discussion of these hadith also of the munajjim the one who uh seeks or claims to know about that which is happening on the earth from the movement of the heavenly bodies and likewise the rammal that is those who claim to have some knowledge or able to know something of the unseen due to drawing lines on the sand or through throwing stones on the sand rammal and likewise there is also a mention in the end of this chapter to those who write abajad yani those who use numerical values or who give numerical values to the letters of the alphabet uh according to some ancient system through which they claim that they can attain some knowledge of the unseen before beginning this chapter just quickly i would like to mention the definitions that some of the scholars have given related to these terms and we will yani perhaps come across definitions as we go through the explanations of the hadith and the first of them uh which is mentioned in the first hadith is al-arraf al-arraf and some of the scholars said it is the one who claims to have knowledge about matters based upon some action or event or something that they do in advance and they use that as an indication or a proof to come to know about something such as that which was stolen to know where its whereabouts or the place of that which was lost and so on and if they claim that they can detect or determine where something has been placed which was stolen or something that was lost where is that and so on the arraf according to this definition is one who claims to have knowledge about uh matters which are unknown to others it is also said that the arraf 
it is the kahin. Yani that arraf and kahin, that they have the same meaning. However, some of the scholars said kahin has a different meaning. And here he says that the kahin is the one who takes information from the mustariq al-sam'ah. Yani the jinn who climb one upon another till they go up to the heavens and they hear something of the revelation or something of the conversation of the angels and what is taking place uh, in the heavens. And they bring that information back down to earth and they give it to the kahin, the soothsayer or the fortune teller. And in this way, that kahin is able sometimes to give some accurate or correct information about the unseen or the unknown matters of the future. And here the definition of kahin, kahin is that he takes some information from mustarak sam those who still are hearing from the heavens, and then he is able to tell the people something about the unknown of the future or the unseen of the future, any things that are going to take place. It has also been said that al-kahin, it is the one who can tell someone about that which is within themselves, yani their inner thoughts or their inner feeling, that which is in their mind or that which is in their heart. Al-Munajjim, Al-Munajjim is the one who uses as an indication the movements of the heavenly bodies to predict or to tell something about what will take place on earth. Yani looking at the stars or the planets or the heavenly bodies and depending upon the position of certain heavenly bodies or their movements, they can they claim that they can determine events upon the earth. And the fourth one, Ar-Ramal, is the one who uh, claims to have knowledge about unseen matters by way of throwing pebbles or stones on the sand or drawing lines on the sand. Uh, and through this they are able, they claim to know something about the unseen matters. Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah rahimahullah says, Al-Arraf, Al-Arraf, it is a name that is used for the kahin, for the munajjim, for the rammal and others who are similar to them. All of those who speak about matters, yani which are basically unseen or unknown, through various means, through various means. Yani each of them use various means. However, Arraf is a general name. It is all inclusive. It includes the kahin, the one who claims to know something about the future, the munajjim who uses the movement of the stars as an indication of what will happen on earth, the rammal, those who draw lines on the sand, and so on. The arraf, it is an all-inclusive name for all of them. And these are the general definitions of the primary yani, terms that are used in the discussion of this chapter. So, Imam Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahab, rahimahullah, he begins the first hadith, he narrates the hadith Rawa Muslim fi Sahihihi that Alima Muslim narrated in his Sahih and Ba'd Azwaj Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam from some of the wives or one of the wives of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam from the Prophet that he said Man Atta Arrafan that whoever came to the Arrafan the one who claims to have knowledge of where uh, something where the whereabouts of something that is stolen or something that is lost according to the specific meaning and according to the general meaning Arraf includes all of them من أتى عرافا فسأله عن شيء whoever goes to one of these soothsayers or fortune tellers and so on and ask him about something يعني something related to the matters of the unseen something that other people don't know فصدقه and then he believes that which that fortune teller tells him لم تقبل لَهُ صَلَاةُ أَرْبَعِينَ يَوْمًا Then his salat would not be accepted for 40 days. This is the, the narration as it came in Kitab Tawheed. However, the hadith as it's narrated by Imam Muslim, and if this hadith actually is reported by Imam Muslim, Imam Ahmed, Allah, and the narration of Imam Muslim doesn't contain the word of the expression فَصَدَّقَهُ yani Then he believes in him. But his narration is that whoever came to the Arraf and asked him about something, then his prayer will not be accepted. Arba'ina laylatan. Instead of yawman, in Sahih Muslim, he said laylatan. His prayer will not be accepted for 40 nights. The narration of Imam Ahmed contains the wording that whoever goes to the Arrafan, من أتى Arrafan, فصدقه بما يقوله, and he believes in what he, he says to him. He believes that, that it is truthful. 
what he is reporting to him, then his prayer will not be accepted. Arba'ina yawman, as in the text of Kitab al-Tawheed, his prayer will not be accepted for 40 days. In any case, the meaning of them are similar, except for the word فَاسْتَدَّقَهُ which in the discussion it will become clear that there is a distinction in the meaning or the use or the addition of this word. Uh, and both of these, yani the isnad of Imam Ahmed and the isnad of Imam Muslim, rahimahullah, both sahih. In fact, it is the same isnad except that Imam Muslim has narrated from his Shaykh Muhammad ibn Muthanna, who narrated from the same Shaykh of Imam Ahmed. And he narrated from the same Shaykh Yahya ibn Sa'id, and the rest of the chain is the same. And the Shaykh of Muslim narrated from Yahya ibn Sa'id, and Imam Ahmed likewise narrated from Yahya ibn Sa'id, and the rest of the chain is the same. Uh, so, here, the Shaykh says the general meaning of this hadith is that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam informs us in this hadith that whoever goes to a soothsayer or fortune teller, arraf, and he asks him about something of the matters of the unseen and he believes in what he tells him yani according to the narration of Imam Ahmed and he believes in what he tells him then verily Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will prohibit or will forbid him the reward of his salat yani the reward or the yani, uh, thawab the blessing that he would receive or the reward that he would receive from his salat for 40 days and he, he would get credit for performing the salat however he wouldn't get any reward for that salat and this would be as a punishment for him for the sin that he has fallen into. Yani, the great sin that he is engaged in in going to a soothsayer. And the, the, the summary of the meaning of this hadith is that the one who visits a soothsayer, for, this, for visiting him alone, his punishment would be that he wouldn't receive any reward for his prayer for 40 days. And whoever performs a prayer correctly and properly, then there are two matters related to that. One, he would be freed from that responsibility, the ob obligation of performing prayer. He would have fulfilled that responsibility. And two, he will also get a reward for performing the prayer. However, the one who goes to the Araf, he would get credit for performing his prayer, but he would not get any reward, yani, with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for 40 days. And from this hadith, the Shaykh mentions three matters or three benefits, the prohibition, of al-irafa or arafa, yani fortune telling or soothsaying that it is haram. The prohibition of believing or testifying to the truthfulness of the information that comes from the araf, the soothsayer, yani that it is haram to believe in the truthfulness of what has been reported from a soothsayer. And number three, that perhaps in some cases a person might be prohibited the reward of their good deeds or their acts of obedience, tawab al-ta'ah, yani whatever they do of, of obedience, not just salat, but al-ta'ah in general, and in the hadith it talks about salat, but from this we understand that any act of obedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the person might be prohibited from the reward as a punishment, as a punishment for that person having engaged in something, some act of disobedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The relationship of this hadith to the chapter under discussion, yani what has been narrated concerning the Quran, the fortune tellers, and those who are like them, is that this hadith makes us to know that al-Irafa or Arafa, fortune telling, fortune telling, and believing what the fortune tellers tell, it is haram. But to do fortune telling is haram, and to believe what they say is also haram. The relationship of this hadith to the subject of a tawheed is that in this hadith, the Prophet has blamed those who believe in the truthfulness of the fortune tellers because the fortune teller has made or the one who believes the fortune teller has made him or accepted him as being a sharik or a partner with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in reference to the knowledge of the unseen ilm al-ghayb and ilm al-ghayb the unseen is the knowledge it belongs to Allah alone and no one shares with him in that knowledge whoever believes that someone shares with Allah in the knowledge of the unseen then they have made that person as a partner to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this matter. Here the Shaykh says, Mulahaza, a note that some of the scholars, rahimahumullah, have mentioned that the one who testifies to the truthfulness or believes in the arrafa, fortune teller, it is not necessary for that person to repeat their prayers of 40 days. It is not necessary for them to repeat those prayers. However, the meaning of the hadith is that they will be prohibited the reward that they would have gotten for the performance of those prayers. 
the next evidence that Imam Ahmed rahimahullah mentioned or Imam uh, Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahab rahimahullah mentions the second and the third evidence and the fourth also but especially the second and the third is that which has been reported uh, in a number of the books of hadith including the Sunan of At-Tirmidhi uh, Abu Dawood and Ibn Majah and others and the narration as reported in Kitab al-Tawheed is closer to that which is reported in the Sunan of Ibn Majah and that narration has been declared as Sahih by Shaykh al-Bani and Irwa al-Ghalil the hadith عن أبي هريرة رضي الله عنه عن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم قال من أتى كاهنا فصدقه بما يقول فقد كفر بما أنزل على محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم that whoever goes to the kahin the soothsayer or fortune teller in the previous hadith the expression used was arraf and in this hadith the expression used is kahin and both of them are similar in meaning the basic, the, the common factor between them, if they don't mean the same thing, then the common factor between them is that both of them claim to have some knowledge of the unseen, which is the right of Allah alone. Whoever goes to the kain, فَصَدَّقَهُ بِمَا يَقُولُ and believes him, and what he informs him of the matters of the unseen, فَقَدْ كَفَرَ بِمَا أُنزِلَ عَلَى مُحَمَّدِ صلى الله عليه وسلم, then indeed that person has disbelieved in what has been sent down or what has been revealed to the Prophet Muhammad صلى الله uh, that which has been revealed to the Prophet ﷺ includes both the Qur'an as well as the authentic Sunnah and both of them declare the falsehood of Kahana and fortune telling and truth saying so whoever believes in the fortune teller then he has denied what the Qur'an has confirmed that fortune telling is false uh, here, there is an important point, uh, perhaps in the explanation of the hadith, it will become clear and it is in, re- in relation to Al-Kufr. Yani what is the Kufr that is mentioned of the one who testifies to the truthfulness of the fortune teller? And perhaps along with this hadith before its explanation, because the hadith are similar, is the next hadith, uh, which has almost the same meaning, Walil Arba'ah. والحاكم وقال الصحيح على شرطهما يعني the four narrators and in the translation of the Shah of Kitab al-Tawheed there is a footnote that the four means here Bukhari and Muslim and Abu Dawood and Tirmidhi or I don't know uh, actually the four means the Ashab al-Sunan that is Abu Dawood, al-Tirmidhi, Ibn Majah and Nasai not Bukhari and Muslim and the four these four along with al-Hakim who said that the hadith is sahih according to the conditions of the two of them that is al-Bukhari and Muslim according to the conditions of Bukhari and Muslim An Abi Huraira radiallahu anhu he said that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said man ata arrafan aw kahinan here in this hadith both are mentioned whoever came to the arraf or the kahin soothsayers and fortune tellers فَصَدَّقَهُ بِمَا يَقُولُ and then he believes in the truthfulness of what he has said فَقَدْ كَفَرَ بِمَا أُنزِلَ عَلَى مُحَمَّدِ then indeed he has disbelieved in what has been revealed to Muhammad صلى الله عليه وسلم the Messenger of Allah وَلِأَبِي يَعْلَى بِسَنَدٍ جَيِّدٍ and it has also been reported by Abu Ya'la with a good إِسْنَاد عَنْ إِبْنِ مَسْعُودِ مِثْلَهُ أَوْ مِثْلُهُ مَوْقُوفًا يعني it has also been reported on the authority of Ibn Mas'ud, a similar narration in meaning, except that it is mawquf, yani it is narrated as a saying of a Sahabi, that is the saying of Abdullah Ibn Mas'ud radiallahu anhu. So, these narrations, both reported from Abu Huraira, and that which is reported mawquf from Ibn Mas'ud, are similar in meaning, both of them, uh, deal with the issue of going to the soothsayers and believing in what they said that whoever does so then he has disbelieved in what has been revealed to the Messenger of Allah Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam as for this hadith that is reported by Al-Arba'ah and Al-Hakim said that it is sahih it was also declared to be sahih by Al-Iraqi Al-Imam Al-Iraqi and Al-Imam Al-Zahabi and Al-Hafiz ibn Hajj Al-Asqalani has 
indicated يعني, or has indirectly pointed to its, its authenticity also in his explanation of a hadith similar to this hadith in the explanation of Sahih al-Bukhari um, and likewise Shaykh al-Albani has indicated the possibility of the authenticity of this hadith but he hasn't said it يعني, conclusively um, as for the mawquf saying or athar of Ibn Mas'ud, some of the scholars said that its chain of narration is Hassan as it was reported by Al-Bazaar and Al-Bayhaqi Rahimahumullah The meaning of this hadith for these narrations is that the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam has informed us in this hadith that whoever goes to a soothsayer or fortune teller and ask him about something of the matters of the unseen and then believes in what he says as being true then he has disbelieved and what has been revealed that is in the Quran and in the Sunnah to the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and that is because in the two of them the Quran and Sunnah in the two of them there is the denial of al of fortune saying, of fortune saying or truth saying yani the Quran and the Sunnah both deny that there is any reality to the claim of the fortune tellers and the soothsayers and also because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has kept for himself the ilm al-ghayb, the knowledge of the unseen and not shared it with anyone uh, the kufr here that is mentioned as some of the scholars mentioned it is kufr asghar and minor kufr or as Ibn Abbas said concerning this issue kufr dun kufr that is that kufr which is less than the other and it is also sometimes referred to as kufr amali yani kufr in actions because it is the action of the kafir to believe in the truthfulness of the liars the soothsayers and fortune tellers however some scholars said that this kufr is kufr akbar yani major kufr which takes a person out of islam yani it is kufr in i'tiqad kufr i'tiqadi kufr in belief and this is yani, the opinion of some of the scholars but it is not the stronger opinion and a third opinion is the opinion of Imam Ahmed rahimahullah at-tawaqqaf yani, to not mention the details or the explanation of this kufr saying that it is kufr akbar or kufr asghar major or minor kufr but just to say that it is kufr as it has come in the text of the hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam that it is kufr without defining it and this is also a strong opinion since the hadith has mentioned it as kufr and has not given any tafsil to the matter uh, or yani, defining it as either of the other and this is strong and warning the people against it and as yani, it, is, it should uh, prevent the people from engaging in such a thing that has been described by the Prophet Wasallam as kufr and the Shaykh mentions here four points or benefits awaid, that may be derived from these narrations the first of them is the prohibition of kahana that it is haram to engage in fortune telling or soothsaying or other such matters similar to it yani, in which the person uh, makes use or seeks assistance from the jinn the shayateen from the jinn who don't help anyone except that they engage in kufr and shirk it is haram to engage in soothsaying number two uh, denial of the kuhan denial denying the truthfulness of the fortune tellers and soothsayers it is incumbent on the muslim to reject what they have said number three that whoever believes the fortune tellers or soothsayers and what they say then it is kufr then they have fallen into kufr and the stronger opinion is that it is kufr amali any kufr duna kufr or minor kufr and the reasoning for this primarily is because in some of the narrations concerning this matter the Prophet said that the one who goes to the fortune teller his prayers are not accepted for 40 days and indeed the one who falls into major kuf yani that takes him out of Islam then their prayers are not accepted at all and so if we combine these two narrations that the one who engages or who, who goes to the soothsayers that one of the punishments mentioned for them is that they have fallen into kufr and the other punishment mentioned for them is that their prayers would not be accepted for 40 days yani they wouldn't get the reward for their prayers for 40 days if we combine these two make gem between them or reconciliation or harmonizing between them then the correct opinion is that the kufr here is minor kufr that doesn't take a person out of Islam otherwise there's no meaning to his prayers 
not being rewarded for 40 days, in fact his prayers would not be accepted at all. However, some scholars said that the one who visits the Tzutzeh without believing in him, then the punishment for him is that his prayers will not be rewarded for 40 days, and the one who believes in him, then in fact he has fallen into kufr. And this is the second opinion that it's major kufr, that the person is out of Islam, and there's a distinction between the one who just visits the Tzutzeh from the one who not only visits him, but actually believes in the truthfulness of what they say, which is the denial of the Quran and the Sunnah. While some scholars said, indeed, this is a good explanation, however, because there is a shubha and a point of confusion or doubt here, uh, then we shouldn't declare the kufr as take somebody out of Islam because of such, since it may be that a person might visit a soothsayer and they might believe what they're saying on the basis that the soothsayer is taking his information from the jinn who steal a hearing from the heavens and that some of what they hear from the heavens is true. So they are believing them based on the fact that what they have told them is from what has been stolen, a hearing that has been stolen from the heavens. In this case, that person would not be believing that the soothsayer has knowledge of the unseen, but they are believing that the soothsayer is dealing with jinns. In that case, the person shouldn't be declared as a kafir, yani because they are not making the soothsayer a partner with Allah in that the soothsayer has knowledge of the unseen himself, but, but they are saying that the soothsayer is getting that knowledge from the shayateen, from amongst the jinn who are stealing and hearing from the heavens of that which is true. In any case, the opinions concerning this are three. Uh, the perhaps more correct opinion is that this kufr is kufr, asghar, minor kufr, and a kufr in actions that doesn't take a person out of Islam completely. However, though that is the more correct opinion and Allah knows best, the best course to take is to declare the person who has done so has fallen into kufr because the text of the hadith has been narrated as such the fourth point that the shaykh mentions here concerning these narrations is that the Quran is revealed and the Quran munazzal that the Quran is revealed sent down from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that it is ghayr makhluq it is not created that is the saying of the Ahl sunnah wal jama'ah is that the Quran is the kalam of Allah which has been revealed, sent down, the speech of Allah sent down upon the Prophet ﷺ through the angel Jibreel, غير مخلوق, and it is not something created. It is from the characteristics of Allah, his sifat, yani his sifa, his characteristic of speech. The relationship with this hadith to the chapter heading is that this hadith indicates بطريق اللازم, yani by way of necessity, the kufr of the kuhan, yani that the fortune tellers and soothsayers are kafirs. The meaning of this is that if the hadith says the one who visits the kahin and believes in him that he has fallen into kufr, then the kahin himself has to himself have fallen into kufr. Therefore, this hadith indicates the kufr of the fortune teller. The text of it indicates the kufr of the one who believes in the fortune teller and the understanding by way of necessity is that the fortune teller himself also has fallen into kufr. And if he engages Yani in the use or the taking support from the jinn, from the shayateen of the jinn, in order to get that information, indeed he has fallen into shirk. Uh, because this information is never given except that the person engaged in acts of kufr and shirk. And if he relies on other than Allah, this is also shirk. The relationship of this hadith to the topic of tawheed is that this hadith indicates by way of necessity uh, that the that fortune telling is kufr because of their reliance on the means of shirk in their fortune telling. Yani that they engage in acts of shirk, words of shirk, or the practices that the shayateen from amongst the jinn require of them in order to cooperate with them and to help them. The fourth hadith, in the last hadith which he mentions, is the hadith of Imran ibn Hussein. رضي الله عنه مرفوعا يعني attributed to the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم which mentions three matters الكهانة fortune telling التطير seeking signs يعني omens good omens or bad omens from various matters whether the movement of birds or otherwise and السحر sorcery or magic in this hadith Imran ibn Hussain رضي الله عنه mentions that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said Laysa minna Laysa minna yani, He is not from us The one who engaged in the following practices He is not from us 
Meaning by his actions, he is not following us. He is not following the Prophet ﷺ and the way of Islam and the Sharia of Islam in engaging in such practices. He has opposed and he has deviated from the way of the Prophet ﷺ. He is not from us. And he is engaging in the act- actions of kufr and the kuffar and mushrikeen. لَيْسَ مِنَّا مَنْ تَطَيِّرَ أَوْ تُطَيِّرَ لَهُ يعني The one who engage in uh, seeking omens from the movement of birds or from other actions, whether speech or whatever they see or whatever is heard, and taking it as an indication of something good or bad to happen. The one who does it and the one who seeks someone to do it for them, to give them information through this way. أو تكهنا أو تكهنا له or the one who engages in الكهانة fortune telling or the one who seeks somebody to tell fortunes for him or to seek information through the means of كهانة fortune telling أو صحر أو صحر له or the one who engages in sorcery or magic or the one who has someone to do it for him to use sorcery or magic against someone for him all of these categories, these three categories, the one who engage in it, who practices it, and the one who requests it to be done, he is, the Prophet ﷺ is declaring his innocence from them. He said that, لَيْسَ مِنَّا They are not from us, they are not from amongst the Muslims. They do not follow the way of Islam. And the second part of this hadith, he says, وَمَنْ أَتَى كَاهِنًا And whoever goes to a soothsayer or fortune teller, فَصَدَّقَهُ And believes in what he says, فَصَدَّقَهُ بِمَا يَقُولُ he believes in what he says, فَقَدْ كَفَرَ بِمَا أُنزِلَ عَلَى مُحَمَّدٍ صلى الله عليه وسلم Then indeed he has disbelieved or fallen into disbelief concerning what has been revealed to Muhammad صلى الله عليه وسلم, the Messenger of Allah. That is the Qur'an and the Sunnah. رَوَاهُ الْبَزَّارِ بِسَنَدٍ جَيِّدٍ And Imam Al-Bazzar has narrated this hadith with a good chain. And according to the author, however, According to some of the scholars, there's inqita' or a break in the chain, so it has some slight weakness. وَرَوَاهُ التَّبَرَانِي فِي الْأَوْسَاتِ الْإِمَامَ التَّبَرَانِي رَحِمُهُ اللَّهِ Narrated in his book, الْأَوْسَاتِ بِإِسْنَادٍ حَسَنْ With a good isnad, according to the author again. While some of the scholars said, فِي دَعِيف And in this in its chain it has a weak narrator. Uh, and this hadith is reported from Ibn Abbas. رضي الله عنهما مرفوعا attributing it to the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم but without the words يعني the second half of the hadith ومن أتى كائنا whoever came to a كائن يعني just the first part of the hadith that they are not of us those who engage in seeking omens and fortune telling and magic they are not of us in any case this hadith it has some weaknesses though the narrations one supporting another have been declared as being raised up to the level of Hassan Ligayrihi as Shaykh Al-Bani rahimahullah mentioned in Ghayat Al-Maram and he's a, the book Ghayat Al-Maram which is the takhrij uh, or the examining of the sources of the hadith of Al-Halal Wal-Haram and in that book he has mentioned uh, these narrations and said that they are supporting one another and being raised up to the level of Hassan so it is an acceptable hadith insha'Allah the Shaykh says concerning the meaning of this hadith that in this hadith the Prophet ﷺ has declared himself innocent and free of those who engage in these or the practice of these three types of people that is the one who seeks omens and the one who asks someone to to, any, to seek omens any, for his benefit he asks someone else to do it for him the one who engages in magic and the one who asks someone to do so for him the one who engages in fortune telling and the one who asks someone to do so for him. Then, in the second part of the hadith, he has specifically mentioned the kahin, the fortune tellers, with an extra warning in which he has informed us that the one who believes in what the fortune teller tells him has fallen into kufr, or has disbelieved in what has been revealed to the Prophet ﷺ from the Qur'an and the Sunnah, and that is because and what has been revealed in these two sources, we know that the ilm al-ghayb, the knowledge of the unseen, is that which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has kept exclusively for himself. So whoever believes in the truthfulness of the fortune teller in his claim to have knowledge of the unseen, then that person 
believing such has denied uh, what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has said and denied what the Messenger of Allah وسلم, has informed us, informed us of. The benefits or the fawaid of this hadith, number one is the prohibition of tiyarah, that is seeking omens, sihr, magic, and kahana, fortune telling. Number two, the prohibition of seeking someone to do any of these acts for you. Number three, that believing in the truthfulness of the fortune tellers is kufr. Uh, number four, that the Qur'an is revealed, sent down from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, غير مخلوق, it is not created. The relationship of this hadith to the chapter heading is that this hadith indicates by way of necessity, with tariq al-lazim, the disbelief of the kahin, fortune teller. Indeed, if the one who believes in him has fallen into kufr, then the one who engages in it has also of necessity fallen into kufr. The relationship of this hadith to the topic of a tawheed in general that this hadith indicates by way of necessity that the kahin is a kafir because he has to engage or he has to rely upon the means of shirk in order to achieve his soothsaying or fortune telling yani to get the help from the shayateen from amongst the jinn uh, then he closes with a note which is related to what has been mentioned in these uh, narrations, the statement of some of the scholars, the first of them is Al-Imam Al-Baghawi, rahimahullah, who was a great scholar of hadith and tafsir. He said, Al-Arraf, yani his definition of Al-Arraf is the one who claims to have knowledge of matters by some action that, that is done first or something that happens first. Then based on that, he takes it as a sign uh, through which he comes to know about the stolen thing, where is it, or the place of that which is lost, and so on. And he, he has knowledge of the matters of the unseen uh, in this way. He said, it is also said that the Arraf is the Kahin, that they are the same. And the Arraf, it also means Kahin, that they have the same meaning. Uh, and he said that Al-Kahin, yani, according to another definition, Al-Kahin, it means the one who knows about, who informs about the matters of the unseen in the future. Yani, distinguishing the Arraf, who knows about things of the past, something that is lost or something that is stolen, and the Kahin, who tells about things that will take place in the future. Then he said, a third opinion, it has also been said that the Kahin is the one who tells, who is able to tell you about that which you keep hidden within yourself in your heart or in your mind uh, without uh, mentioning it. Then he mentions the statement of Abu al-Abbas, that is Shaykh al-Sam ibn Taymiyyah, rahimahullah, in which he said that these names are general, yani al-Arraf is general for all of these names, it means the Kahin, the Munajjim, the Rammal, and others who are similar to them, who talk about the matters, yani coming to know matters through various means, that is the matters of the unseen, through different methods or different means. And then he closes this chapter with the statement of Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhuma, may Allah be pleased with him and his father, concerning the people who write Abajad, who write Abajad while looking at the stars. Yani, they write letters of the alphabet, giving them numerical values, and through some way, through this system of giving letters numerical values and looking at the stars, they are able to predict the future or tell you about matters of the unseen. And then Ibn Abbas said, concerning those who write the letters of Abajad and looking at the stars, he said, that I don't believe or I don't see that those who do so, that they have any portion with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, meaning that they will have no portion in the next life of the reward of Allah, of the Jannah. The only one who has no portion whatsoever is the kafir, because even the believer who is punished for some uh, sins that they committed without repenting from it, <coughs> they would not remain in the hellfire forever. They would have some portion of the paradise, while those who have no portion are only the kafirs. So the opinion of Ibn Abbas here is that the people who engage in such, that they are kafirs who will have no place or no portion of the paradise of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Uh, before mentioning the Messiah, or perhaps, what is the time? 7.40? Okay. Let's do the Masail, and then before going to the next chapter, which is very short. 
The Messiah here, Al-Imam Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahab, rahimahullah, mentions seven important issues related to this chapter of the fortune tellers and soothsayers and those who are like them. The first of them is that these two things will never come together. That is, the one who confirms the truthfulness of the soothsayer and the one who believes, who has Iman in the Qur'an. And they cannot coexist. Belief in the truth says and belief in the Qur'an. They are contradictory. And this is taken from the saying of the Prophet ﷺ, whoever goes to a fortune teller and believes in what he says, then he has disbelieved in what has been revealed to Muhammad ﷺ. That is, he has denied the Qur'an. He has denied the Qur'an if he has believed in them because the Qur'an has rejected them. So he has denied the Qur'an and this is the greatest form of kufr. The second issue, and mas'ala al-thaniya, is tasrih bi annahu kufr. And that whoever engages in stuff, he said, says clearly here in this hadith that this is kufr. And this is taken from the statement of the Prophet, فَقَدْ كَفَرَ بِمَا أُنزِلَ عَلَى مُحَمَّدْ Indeed, he has definitely, فَقَدْ كَفَرَ He has definitely fallen into kufr. The third issue is the mention of the person who has fortune telling done for him. And this is taken from the hadith of Imran ibn Hussain, in which he said that the Prophet said, لَيْسَ مِنَّا That is the one who takahana uh, engage in fortune telling and the one who tukuhina lahu who asked someone to do it for him that means the one who asked someone to do it for him he is like the one who does it and the Prophet ﷺ is free and innocent of them he has nothing to do with them the fourth issue is the mention of tutuyira lahu man tutuyira lahu the one who asked for omens yani who asked someone to interpret the signs as a, an omen, a good omen or bad omen for him, and this is taken from yani, the hadith, the previous hadith which mentions here, yani, this wording, aw tutuhira lahu. The fifth, 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 fifth issue is the mention of those who suhira lahu, man suhira lahu, that is not only the one who does magic or sorcery, but the one who requests someone to do it for him, as this, this is also mentioned in the text of the hadith. Here, Sheikh Muhammad, uh, Muhammad ibn Salih al-Uthaymeen, rahimahullah, mentions that the author, the author of the book, Kitab al-Tawheed, Muhammad ibn al-Duwahab, rahimahullah, has mentioned the one who has fortune-telling done for him, or the one who has magic practice for, for him, or the one who has someone seek omens for him. Because it might, it might be that somebody might imagine, or they might uh, think that the fortune tellers themselves and the one who interpret the omens or the one who do the magic that this is only applicable to them so here he mentioned here yani he mentions this as an issue that has to be brought out that whoever seeks someone else to engage in these practices then his punishment is like the punishment of the one who engages in it and is that all of them they are equal the sixth issue is the mention of those who learn Abajad, that is the ancient system of giving numerical values to the letters of the alphabet in order to predict something about the future or to attain knowledge of the unseen. He said, whoever learns this, there's some, there's any explanation required, and we shouldn't automatically praise them nor blame them. And it is not necessarily blameworthy or praiseworthy except after considering the condition of the person who engaged in such, in, in, in such a thing. And this is because there were, there were some people, and perhaps even until today, there are some who use this numerical system, not for fortune-telling or, or soothsaying, but they use it to indicate dates and other such things that is not related to fortune-telling or soothsaying. In, in that case, it's used, for that means there's no blame on the one who does it, and this is not what is meant in this hadith. Uh, the last issue the Sheikh mentions is the mention of al-farq, بين الكاهن والعراف the difference between the kahin and the arraf and he said that the scholars differed concerning this and there are three opinions amongst the Ahlul Ilm the first of them is that al-arraf and al-kahin that they are uh, of similar meaning that they are mutaradifan yani they are two words that have the same meaning there is no difference between them the second opinion is that al-arraf is the one who seeks to know the matters Yani the matters of the unseen, through some action or something that he does, uh, from that he comes to know 
about the matters of the unseen and he said here that means that Arraf is general and Al-Kahin is comes under its heading but it is more specific because Al-Arraf includes Kahin and other such expressions or titles all of them come, un, come under Arraf uh, it is the general meaning and those others that come under it Kahin or Ramal and so on Munajim they are specific titles. So, Arraf is general and the other titles are specific. This is the second opinion. The third opinion is that Al-Arraf is the one who seeks to, some, yani to use some means to know about matters of the unseen, any yani indications or signs of something to indicate the matters of the unseen in general, while the, kah- the Kahin is the one who talks about that which a person keeps hidden within themselves, yani the secrets that they keep hidden in their heart or in their mind. Uh, or the one who, specifically the Kahin, is related to the one who tells about things of the future. Again, he is saying here that Al-Arraf is general and the Kahin is specific. Arraf is, is perhaps yani related to matters of the past and as some of them said, he can tell you about something that has been stolen or that which is lost while the kahin is related to matters of the future therefore they have two different meanings, they are not the same yani, they are not the same in the meaning, yani the kahin deals with the future and arraf deals with ha- things that happened in the past so the opinions of the scholars here make us to know that it is not something agreed upon, the definitions of these words are not something that is agreed upon, there is difference of opinion some of them said they have the same meaning some of them said that they have a different meaning that one is general and the other one is specific and so on in any case that which is common between all of the opinions of the scholars is that these people claim to have knowledge of the unseen and whoever claims to have knowledge of the unseen then The questions quickly are How is Al-Kahana fortune telling related to a shirk? It is that the person cannot come to know about matters of the future or unseen matters except through seeking assistance and relying upon the shayateen of the jinn. Uh, whoever claims such knowledge of the unseen, this is shirk, and whoever relies upon other than Allah, this is also shirk. We define Arraf, Kahin, Munajim, and Ramal, we define them in some detail, and we can say that. These words, Arraf, it is a general word including the others, or it is a specific word dealing with matters of the past, and Kain is dealing with matters of the future. Munajim is dealing with looking at the movement of the planets or the stars, and Ramal is drawing lines on the sand and so forth. What is meant by he will have his Salat prayer rejected for 40 days? It means that though he will get credit for performing the prayer, the obligation of prayer will be removed, however, he will not get the reward, the Thawab. Uh, of, of those prayers. Explain the expression he has indeed kafara or disbelief in what is revealed to Muhammad sallallahu It means disbelief here it means minor disbelief or disbelief in actions that doesn't take a person out of Islam. Uh, according to the stronger opinion it means minor disbelief however some of the scholars said it means major disbelief and some said that we just leave it as disbelief without defining it. How do we reconcile between the two different punishments mentioned in the above hadith? Uh, that is the reward of the prayers being denied and that a person has fallen into kufr. Uh, some of the scholars have reconciled or made a gem uh, between them by saying that uh, the disbelief here is minor disbelief. That the person is not out of Islam and uh, the other any punishment is that they are prayers would not be rewarded for 40 days which is a proof that they are not out of Islam that they are still a Muslim however they are only being punished for uh, the sin that they have engaged in which is a major sin and it is of the Kabayr uh, and as well some said that another possible reconciliation between them is that uh, the first punishment is for those who visit who go to the soothsayers or fortune sellers while the other punishment is for those who actually believe in them explain the expression that which was revealed to Muhammad sallallahu means that which is revealed means the Quran as well as the Sunnah what is the hukum or ruling concerning Al-Kahin fortune teller and the likes of him the ruling con- concerning the Kahin is that he is he, ha- he, is, he engages in kufr and that he is a kafir uh, what is the hukum 
What is the hukum or the legal ruling concerning going to the kain or arraf, soothsayers and fortune tellers, is that it is haram. It is a major sin and in fact uh, it, may, it may also be said that the one who goes to them also falls into kufr except, except the one who goes to them for some other reason, perhaps to detect if these people are actually engaging in such things in order to report them or to capture them or to punish them and so on. And they're not actually going to them believing that they can give any information about the unseen. Mention some of the fawaid or the benefits that might be derived from the evidence of this chapter. There are many and we have mentioned them under each evidence. Uh, the next chapter is very short. Inshallah, we'll just try to briefly go through it. It is, any, there are two evidences mentioned in this chapter. The chapter, Bab Maja'a Fin Nushrati. That which has been mentioned of the evidences related to An-Nushra. And An-Nushra, linguistically, it means Al-Kashf or Al-Izala, yani to uncover something or to remove something or to separate something, Al-Tafriq. And the Shar'i legal meaning is Hal Al-Sihr An Al-Mashur. Yani, removing the Sihr, the magical spell from the person who has been uh, put under a spell. Yani the Maswar, the person who has been affected by a magician or a sorcerer. Yani removing that spell, breaking the spell, this is called An-Nushra. And the ways of An-Nushra are two, that which is legal and that which is illegal. And the first evidence concerning this is that which is reported on the authority of Jabir, radiallahu anhumah, anna Rasulullah sallallahu wa sallam su'ila an nushra that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu wa sallam was question or act about An-Nushra فَقَالَ هِيَ مِنْ عَمَلِ الشَّيْطَانِ He said that it is from the acts, acts or the works or the deeds of a shaytan and it is from the actions that a shaytan loves and is pleased with and he engaging in such this Nushra is the type of course that is forbidden the one that involves sihr or the one that involves shirk he said it is from the actions of a shaytan رَوَاهُ أَحْمَدْ بِسَنَدٍ جَيِّدٍ reported by Imam Ahmed with a good chain wa Abu Dawood and also Abu Dawood rahimahullah wa qala yani Abu Dawood said su'ila Ahmed anha fa qala ibn Mas'ud yaqra hadha kullahu yani Abu Dawood after narrating this hadith said that Imam Ahmed was asked about an-nushra and Imam Ahmed said that Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiyallahu anhu hated and disliked and detested all of this yani an-nushra that is the removal of the magical spell from a person who has been affected by a magician. And again, this may be understood to mean the nushra, which is yani, illegal or unlawful, involving sihr or involving shirk. And the Shaykh says the general meaning of this hadith is that when a nushra was an action of the actions of jahiliyyah and the companions of the Prophet ﷺ didn't want any part of the jahiliyyah nor its actions, they asked the Prophet ﷺ about the ruling, the hukum of an-nushra, al-ma'arufa fil-jahiliyyah, yani the nushra that was well known in jahiliyyah. That nushra was the one that involved shirk and sihr. They asked him about the nushra that was well known in jahiliyyah, and he answered, the Messenger of Allah ﷺ answered with a sufficient answer, bi-jawab kafin, wadda fihi ma yahallu minha wa ma yahrum. And he made clear in it, in his answer, that which is in it, yani, what is lawful from it, and that which is unlawful, he said, here min amal al-shaytan, that an-nushra is from the actions of shaytan, and it is well known that the shaytan doesn't order the people except with evil and indecency. As for what is not from the actions of shaytan, yani, that nushra which is not from the actions of shaytan, such as al-ruqa, or ruqya wa ta'awiz al-shara'iyya, yani the recitations or any recitation of Qur'an or ad'iyah, supplications from the sunnah, which are legislated in the sharia, and al-ad'iyah, al-mubaha, and lawful medical uh, or medicines, medical applications. As for these things, the hadith does not prohibit such. Yani, the lawful recitations or the lawful medicines that might be used for the, remo- the, the removal of the effect of magic. Any magic actually affects the human being, causing them sickness and causing someone to die. 
physically, re really, and it affects their mind, and so on. And therefore, the physical effects of magic perhaps sometimes can be removed by the use of certain medicines that have been tested and well known to remove the physical harm, the sickness that is caused by the magic. And likewise, the ruqya, shari'a, also removes physical sickness as well as mental harm, yani the recitation of ayahs of Qur'an or the supplications that the Prophet has recommended including recitation of the names of Allah and so on. The Shaykh mentions two benefits here from this hadith. The first of them is the prohibition of an nushra and it means here the prohibited nushra that is the one which involves wasail shirkiya and sihriya the one that involves means shirk mean, use, uh, the means of shirk or the means of magic as for that which as for that which uh, is the supplications or recitations uh, that are legislated in the sharia from the quran or from the sunnah or lawful permissible medicines than this one it is jayz it is permissible Secondly, that the actions of shaitan, all of them, yani engaging in the use of magic and otherwise, and whatever he has ordered of evil and indecency, all of this, it is haram. Yani the Prophet ﷺ said that he amin amal shaitan. It is from the actions of shaitan, and this action as well as all actions of shaitan, whatever shaitan loves and is pleased with, is all prohibited. The relationship of this hadith to the chapter heading is that this hadith indicates the prohibition of an-nushra, that is, the prohibition of removing magic or this magical spell by the use of magic, not by the lawful means. And the relationship of this hadith to the topic of Tawheed is that this hadith indicates the prohibition of the Nushra of Jahiliyyah, yani the one that involves Sihr and Shirk, yani that Nushra which is not affected or is not completed except by the use of by some actions of Shirk. The second evidence or the second statement that he mentions, the second and third are the statements of two of the great Imams of the Tabi'een, the scholars of the students of Sahaba. And in the first of them, that which is reported by Al-Bukhari, Rahimahullah, from Qatada, Rahimahullah, Qultu li Ibn Musayyib, I said to Ibn Musayyib, Rajulun bihi tib, aw yu'khadu an imra'atihi. He said that a man who has been affected by tib, by sihr, magic, or he is prevented from having sexual relations with his wife, should we use some means to remove this magic from him or use a nushra? Ibn Musayyib said that there is no harm in using the nushra meaning that one which is lawful, the one that doesn't involve sihr or magic, because indeed what they want is to mend or to correct al-islah. As for that which benefits, and in not involving shirk or sihr, then it is not prohibited, and it is not prohibited in the sharia. The shaykh says the general meaning of this hadith is that here in this asr of Ibn, Sayyib, uh, Ibn Musayyib, Qatada, rahimahullah, says that he, act, that he acts Ibn Musayyib and he was one of the great scholars of the Tabi'een and of the righteous people of that time. What is the ruling concerning removing magic from the one who has been affected by a magical spell? By a nushra. And he answered, that is Sayyid ibn Musayyib, rahimahullah, he said that this is permissible because they only want to bring about some benefit to remove the harm or the magical spell from the person who has been affected. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has not prohibited such a thing and he has not prohibited something in which there is a benefit uh, a maslaha or a any something useful. The relationship of this this report to the chapter heading is that in this asr of Sayyid Ibn al Musayyib, rahimahullah, we understand that he his opinion is the permissibility of removing magic from the one who has been affected, and obviously he means the removal of that magic not by magic itself, but by the lawful means of removing the spell of a person who has been affected, the nushra shara'iyah supplications or recitations from the Qur'an or yani, that which has been reported from the Prophet and so on or m lawful permissible medicine. The second asr and al-Hasan that is Hassan al-Basri rahimahullah another great scholar of the Tabi'een أنه قال لا يحل السهر إلا ساهرون that no one is able to remove the sihr of the person who is affected by sihr except a sahir yani, except a magician a sorcerer 
And here, of course, he means that no one removes the sihr by sihr, by the like of it. Except that that person who, who does magic, even if he does it for a good purpose, he is also a sahir. He doesn't mean the one who uses the recitation of Qur'an or the supplication of the Prophet ﷺ that have been reported authentically and that is contained, that is permissible in the Sharia. And this asr has been reported in, uh, by Ibn al-Jawzi in Jami al-Masanid. However, he said the author precedes it by Ruya, and we understand from this that there is a possibility it might not be an authentic report. In any case, it is an opinion of one of the great scholars of the Tabi'een, Al-Hassan al-Basri, and his opinion on the surface appears to contradict the opinion of Ibn Musayyib. However, the reconciliation or gem between them is that Ibn Musayyib is allowing the permissibility of the Nushra, which doesn't contain Sihr or Shirk, and Al-Hassan al-Basri is prohibiting the Nushra, which is removing magic by the use of magic by a magician. The, re- the relationship of this one or this author to the, to the chapter is that this one indicates that the opinion of Hassan al-Basri rahimahullah is the, uh, the removal of magic from the person who is affected by it is haram and the one who engages in it is a magician and of course that means that that person it refers to the one who uses magic which is prohibited and not the one who uses the legally and the legal means of supplications or recitations and so on. And finally he closes here with the saying of Ibn al-Qayyim rahimahullah which is a summary of this chapter uh, that al-Nushra is the removal of magic or a magical spell from a person who has been affected by a magician or sorcerer and it is of two types, it is two types. The first of them is the removal of the magic by the like of it, yani by, by magic itself, by another magician. And this one is what is referred to in the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ in Amal al-Shaytan, that it is from the action of the devil. And it is from those things that shaytan loves and is pleased with. And this is what is understood, and this is the meaning that is understood from the saying of Al-Hasan, rahimahullah, that no one removes the magic, the magical spell except a magician, meaning by means of magic itself. Because the one who removes that spell and the one who is removed from, then they have only been able to do so by doing some act to get near to shaitan by doing that which he loves in order for him to uh, remove that magical spell from the person who is affected. The second type of a nushra, Ibn al-Qayyim rahimahullah says, is the nushra which is al-ruqya wa-ta'awithat wal-adwiyya wa-da'awat al-mubaha fahada jahiz yani the nushra which is recitation of Qur'an or supplications or seeking refuge from Allah or the medicines that are permissible or making or just supplicating to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for the cure of that person this is from that which is permissible this is the nushra that is permissible and finally he makes a note in closing in closing uh, that this uh, summary or this division of a nushra into two types by Ibn Qayyim it is a summary of the whole of this chapter uh, and it is that which is supported, and his interpretation is that which is supported by the evidences. And I think Shaykh Muhammad Abdul Wahab mentions in the Misal at the end of this chapter only two points. Uh, those two points which he mentions is the prohibition of a nushra, meaning the one that is yani, illegal, involving shirk or, or sihr, and the second of them is the al-farq bayn al-manhi anhu wal-murakhasa fihi mimma yuzil al-ishkal. Yani, that there is a differentiation between that which is prohibited and that which has been allowed in terms of a nushra and this is this removes the misunderstanding that someone might fall into uh, concerning the apparent contradiction between the statements of some of the scholars that a nushra is permissible or a nushra is prohibited yani the nushra is of two types and we have to distinguish between that which is permissible and that which is not permissible Yani, just in a few moments in closing, uh, let's try to look at the questions quickly at the end of the uh, handout and then we will go for the prayer, inshallah. Perhaps there's uh, still uh, 10 minutes remaining before the Iqamah. Uh, the first question, define a nushra. We said that a nushra, it is the removal of magic from a person who has been affected. The removal or the curing of that person from the magical spell. And it is by different means. Some of them lawful and some not. Number two, how is this chapter heading? And Nushra, yani that which has been reported related to Nushra, how is it related to the topic of a Tawheed? That is the Nushra of Jahiliyyah that involves Sihr and Shirk. Yani it is a contradiction 
of Tawheed. Number three, what did the Prophet ﷺ mean when he said that Anushra is from the works of Shaitan? He means the Anushra which involves Sihr and Shirk. It is from those things that Shaitan is pleased with and that he loves. This is called the works of Shaitan or the actions of Shaitan or his deeds. Number four, mention the statements concerning Anushra and Al-Jam, reconciliation between them. Any of the statements concerning it is that uh, which has been reported by Ibn, Ibn Musayyib rahimahullah allowing it saying that it is permissible and that which was reported from Al-Hassan al-Basri rahimahullah saying that it is prohibited that no one can remove any the magical spell from a person except a sahir except a magician uh, the reconciliation between them is that Nushra is of two types that which is permissible and that which is not and Ibn Musayyib was talking about the permissible type while Al-Hassan al-Basri was talking about the prohibited type what is the hukum or legal ruling concerning removing a magical spell by the use of sihr that it is haram, it is haram, the use of sihr is haram. What is the jayiz, permissible manner of removing a magical spell from al-mashur, the person under the spell of magician, it is by supplications or by recitation of the Qur'an or permissible medicines that have been proven to remove the physical sickness that is caused by magic. Uh, mention some of the fawaid benefits or ahkam, legal rulings that might be derived from the evidences of this chapter and those fawaid are mentioned under each uh, evidence that we mentioned. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika ashadu an la ilaha illa anta astaghfiruka wa tubu ilayk. If there are any comments or questions or corrections, any in the next two or three minutes we may take them, inshallah. If the sisters have any questions, you can send them quickly. Brothers. Regarding? Is it? Yeah, sometimes they will use these letters. They will use words that contain letters that when you look at the numerical value of those letters according to this system, you will determine a certain date. And they might use a word, instead of writing the date in numbers, they will write it in letters. And those letters have values. And the people who know that system, they know what the value is of it. If they use it for such, as they used to use it in ancient times, just for this, as a numerical system, the use of letters as a numerical system, there's no harm in it. But the use of it to claim that somebody has knowledge of the unseen, this is what is haram.